you would take your Bibles, turn to Malachi, the book of Malachi. It's right before the book of Matthew. There's a 400 break in between those two books. Uh, I want to commend you on your courage to come back a second week as I talk about giving. And uh, we thought maybe we'd have a, uh, no, I know Creeksiders, I know you'd come back. If you are a guest today, I want to welcome you and thank you for being here. And so I'm going to throw out a couple of disclaimers. Uh, a lot of people say, well, one time I go to church, they always talk about money, so welcome to Creekside, we're talking about it, but this is the last Sunday, it's our, fifth, our sixth in this series. But I want to say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, go back, read, uh, read, but listen to our, our website when we started this series, because I make a lot of introductory comments. Our church is not in need of your money. Uh, there's no ulterior motive. There's no agenda behind these talks. I've never talked about money when this church needed it, and I will probably never do that uh, as long as I am here. So just, uh, you know, rest assured. Take your money out if you want to and sit on it so you make sure that it's not accessible to anybody or anything. This will not be any sleight of hand or magical stuff going on, and there will be no request for anything else. Last week, I was very pointed, and I said, men, I'm talking to you, and I really kind of would say that today. I had a wonderful compliment from a guy who came come up to me afterwards, a big guy, big guy, not a small guy, a big guy who looked down on me, and he stuck out his hand, and he says, Pastor, I just, you know what, I don't always like what you say, but I like the way you say it. He says, you challenge me, but you don't browbeat me, and I said, okay, good, that's probably as good a compliment as I can get, especially about something when it comes to money. I received this from a lady that I received permission from her that I could read it this week. Uh, I had a wonderful group of people in 101 yesterday, and one of the questions is, how come you singled out the men and not the women? Because there's so many things that women deal with that I don't have the time to unpack in this area, but this is the email, and this really speaks to why I said what I said last week. She said, Dear Pastor Tara, I've been coming to Creekside for one and a half years now, and I've never emailed you. But I would like to thank you for today's sermon. This was last week. Uh, my husband is not yet one who attends Creekside, but uh, this is an area that I've struggled with is tithing and giving. I really appreciate you taking the time to address the situation during your talk today. At the beginning of last year, I prayed about it, and I came up with an amount to give out of my, person, my personal money each week because my husband and I, we each give a little bit and for the things that we want to do. And, but every now and then I get a tinge of guilt that I'm not doing enough. I've always felt that this feeling didn't come from the Lord, but it's helpful to hear him speak these words so clearly through you. Thank you. And the reason is, is because I understand that there are women here, many, a number of women. Uh, fortunately, our church is blessed with a strong percentage of male presence, which a lot of churches aren't. It's one of the things that people notice. But the reason that's so important, because I know that there's women here that you have husbands that may not come to Creekside, and so this can be a very guilt-inducing talk. And, and, and when I talk about money and stuff like this, I am never one that, listen, guilt is not a good motivation for most of us. And so I want people walking out of here with your head raised up, whether you're going to be obedient or disobedient. I mean, you know, that's your call. Once I'm done, it's between you and God. But I don't want to infuse and, and, and really put a heavy burden of guilt on you. So that's why I said some of those things so, uh, so straightforward yesterday. Now, <clears throat> if, there's a lot, if there's some of you here 
that are just kind of kicking the tires of this journey with Jesus, and you're not there yet, this talk isn't for you. Ain't going to make sense. If you're just totally here for your first time, and maybe this is the first time in years you've come to church, I want to say this talk probably isn't for you either. And for some of you ladies, that you have absolutely no control over some of the economic resources in your home, this talk is not for you either. This, is t- this talk really is if I can just, this is as, guilt, as much guilt as I'm going to put on you today. But this guilt is really for those of you who say you love Jesus. This talk is for those of you who say you love Creekside. This talk is for those of you who say you love what Creekside does. This talk is for you that says you love the ministries of Creekside. This talk is for those of you who say I've been coming to Creekside for years, but I haven't hardly given a dime to help this place. This is for those of you who started coming to Creekside because you got tired of going to another church that always talked about money, asked for your money, begged for your money, and needed your money. We don't, we haven't done that, we won't do that, but this talk is for you. It really is for those. There's people here that probably have been here for years and you haven't invested a single dime in this place. Or if you did, it comes out to be dimes. This talk's for you. And I say that unashamedly because you're missing out. Because by the time I'm done today, I hope it makes sense to you. And uh, I'm going to tell you some stories of some wonderful people that uh, I wish I could, I, could, I could take two weeks easily and just tell you different stories of people. So everybody here, just relax, kick back, but I'm going to move pretty fast, and there's a lot to cover, so give me some time today, because I don't want to have to come back and finish it next week, as I'm sure you probably don't either. But see, oftentimes when churches talk about money, it's all about giving, but we've been talking now really for six weeks, and four of those weeks have really been talking simply about money management in the kingdom of God. And that he gives us, listen, the smartest person I know is Jesus. And it's amazing to me how much information and credibility he has when it comes to financial resources and the spirit of God that has taught us through the word to do some of the very things that you can go to any money manager in the world today and they will tell you the same things that is taught in this book. And sometimes we forget that. I refuse, though, I, I, I refuse to put any preacher pressure on any of you. But saying that, I also refuse to sit idly by while some Christ followers confuse themselves and others with wrong notions about God's blueprint for your finances, your family, and your health, and your life over all. I understand as much as anybody, because I kid about it, how this whole area of finances has been so badly distorted and, and, and distorted by ungodly pressure from people out there where there's this constant emotional public appeals for money from churches, from organizations. But hear me, we cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. The Bible teaches it. As I've said week after week, God speaks so much about it because he knows it's so close and it's so much of who we are. That's why I'm putting this last in the series. And I'm really going to today just kind of walk you through some very important principles And I know there's probably a lot of people in this room that say, oh, pastor, I want to give, I want to give, I want to give. But, you know, I'm just, you know, I don't even make enough to cover the basics that I have now. And that's not good. And I understand that. But at the end, I'm going to challenge you and to begin to move forward and allow and, and to do what God says to do, which is basically to test him. There's a number of ways to give, but I'm going to talk about two main ways today that people have been doing for millennia, 
And it starts in the Bible. So let's pick it up in Malachi chapter 3. Last week we talked out of Malachi chapter 1. And the book of Malachi is God's last words to his people before there's this 400 years of silence that really is, is set up to get the people looking for and, and, and really waiting for the presence and the coming of Christ Jesus. So Malachi is a short book. It is a prophetic book. As I said last week, most of it is God speaking to his people and challenging them. Because in chapter 1, God says, listen, your sacrifices are weak and feeble. I asked for the best and the perfect, and you've given me the blemished and the besmirched. He says in chapter 2, he talks about families and the problems and the breakdown of the family. And he says, because you haven't put me first, your marriages are crumbling. Divorce is going crazy. It's because you haven't put me first. And then he comes to chapter three and he starts dealing with the finances and he says, listen, there's a curse on you because you don't follow my patterns. So let's pick it up where he talks about finances in chapter three of Malachi. Let's start at verse six. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. And that's kind of important as we walk through this whole process. Because, see, the, 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 the ways and means may change, but the principles don't with God. And he says, I don't change, so you, O descendants of Israel, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees. You have not kept them. Oh, I call you, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, well, how are we to return? And, and, and then God says, well, let me tell you. Will a man rob a God? Will, will a man rob God, but you rob me? But you ask, well, how do we rob you? In your tithes and your offerings, you're under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. So he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be, uh, there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not open the floodgates of heaven, the windows of heaven. Test me in this. And I will pour out so much blessing upon that you will not have room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields, and they will, uh, will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God <clears throat> Almighty. There's two kinds of people, I've said. There's givers and there's takers. There's also, there's river people and there's reservoir people. River people, uh, they, they have life to them. There is things that flow out of them. Currents of blessing and refreshment. That's what a river does. It's always moving. It's always moving things down and there's fresh water going through it. Winston Churchill said, the great statesman said this, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And I see it all the time, all the time, people that are blessed. It's because they're river people. They're not reservoir people. What's a reservoir people? Reservoirs, they retain. They hold on to. They have no outlet. They become very stagnant. stagnant. They kinda, it's kind of like swamp-like. You know, they attract insects and critters, and there's no outlet. And obviously, there's no refreshment. And there's kind of this green stuff that just grows on the surface. Have you ever seen people like that? Yeah, probably not. But... But Malachi says, remember last week in Malachi chapter 1, it said that there's different, there's different kinds of fruits. And he says, you're not bringing me the first fruits, the best. And so just like reservoir people or river people, givers and takers, you're going to make a decision what you're going to be. And I have no, absolutely no empirical evidence of this, 
other than what I see, year in and year out in people. Givers, and I'm not talking, hear me, I'm not just talking about money today, although that's a big part of it. But people that are givers, I'm amazed at just how better their life is. They don't have the nicer cars necessarily or the bigger home, but they got a greater spirit about them. People are more attracted to them. There's a, there's a vibrancy and a life that comes from them because they are simply givers. They aren't takers. They're rivers. And there's a refreshment that flows through them, not simply reservoirs. See, there's, there's three kinds of fruits that we can give to God. First of all, there's the leftovers and the crumbs, and that's what the people in Malachi were doing last week we talked about. So you can give the leftovers and the crumbs. Someone said it this way, you're not a tither, you're a tipper. And I go, that's really good. That's pretty good. You're not a tither, you're a tipper. So we can give our leftovers, we can give our crumbs, and then there's, we can also give uh, not, not only leftovers and crumb fruit, but we can give bruised fruits. Not our best, not what we're thrilled about, not that we're proud of. Uh, Trina and I were golfing recently, and she oftentimes, um, if we're away doing something together, she'll ride in the cart with me and run around, and so we're about two-thirds of the way through this round, and all of a sudden she picks up this banana, and, and, and it's like it's bowing, it's bending. And then I, and she turns it around, and it's just all brown and black. It hasn't even taken it out of the skin yet. And I look at it, and I go, you're not going to eat that, are you? And she goes, well, of course. I go, that is bad fruit. I like my, you know, bananas a little bit green, kind of firm. Well, see, sometimes we, I would never, I would never eat that banana. I mean, that's, that's gross. That's sick. That's like, that's not right. That is a bruised fruit. <laughs> but you know what? A lot of us give that to God, don't we? Ooh, I wouldn't eat this. Oh, here, I'll give it to God. I'll never forget. This is, I, I just remember this. I think I told you this before. But when I first went to Lodi, and, and I was the new youth pastor, and they were going to give us this housewarming basket of goodies. Can I tell you what they gave us? They gave us junk. They gave us, like, canned beets. Cream corn. There was a little envelope on the side, nailed to the or, uh, taped to the to this big fifty-gallon bin, and it said, "Bless you, our new pastors," with two dollars in it. And 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 you're thinking, well, well, that was a long time ago, Pastor. I go, yeah, well, it wasn't that long ago, you know? I mean, two bu- and, and listen, it wasn't. It, it 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 was funny to us because I just thought that's what so many church people do, and I'm so glad Creekside doesn't do that. I can just see people going through the cupboards. Oh, this is junk. We'll give it to the you, Pastor. You know? Oh, here's junk. Let's give it to this college student. You know? And we can't live that way. We can't be that. We got to give our best, and most importantly, we got to do that with God. Now give him our bruised, leftover junk, because this is what he says. I want your first fruits. Proverbs 3, 8 says this, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your harvest. He doesn't want the leftovers. He doesn't want the crumbs. He wants your best. That's different for all of us. Remember I said it last week. It's not about equal pay. It's about equal sacrifice. Everybody's different. But God says, I want your best. So the tithe, this little word Tithe. Some people, I've had people come and say, well, what's this? what do you mean? What, what are, you talk about tithe. What's that mean, this tithing thing, you know? Well, what it means literally in the scriptures, it means one-tenth, 10%. It's 10% that the Lord consistently and continually from the beginning of scripture to the end uh, lays claim to it. Well, what do you mean? 
Well, remember, we've been talking uh, for a few weeks when we was talking about this whole thing about how we see our money that we understand. Psalm 24, 1 says that all that we have is the Lord's. Everything, every person of this world really belongs to God. And he simply says, here, you're stewards. So isn't it a gracious God that would say, here, here, here's 100%, but you know, just kind of carve out 10%, a tenth for me, and I'm going to give you the rest of the 90%. He says, that's my part. See, in the Old Testament, the Israelites gave God a a tenth of everything that they had. It was the first of their income. If they were farmers, it was a tenth of their crop. If it was shepherds, it was a tenth of their herds. If it was merchants, it was a tenth of their profits. And I kind of get tired. I'm just going to tell you. So don't come and talk to me about this. Figure it out on your own. But I really get tired of all these people that want to say, oh, you know, Old Testament, I'm going to get to that in just a second too, so don't worry about that. But, oh, you know, they, they, they had, it was a lot easier for them because it was their, their grain or their herds. Are you kidding me? That was still their currency. It's what they lived on. The principle. The means are a little bit different, but the principle stays the same, loved ones. And I get tired of all these Christians that want to get really spiritual and kind of dance inside and you know, give me all this. Forget it. Don't Just save it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. But don't, don't come and try and convince me otherwise. So this tithe, that was given at the temple. And it was used to pay for the work of the temple, to pay the expenses uh, of the temple and the priests and the Levites who worked in the temple. It was also used to help the poor. Well, everyone was expected to give a tithe, just like today, guess what? Not everybody did. And so God is challenging these people, and it's interesting that they're having all of these issues and all of these problems. And and, and in some ways, you can almost begin to tie it into their finances and their resources. Now, this isn't true across the board. It's a generalization. You've got to be really careful with that. But the people that I see that do well in most areas of their lives do well in most areas of their lives. It isn't just one. And I really believe it's because there's this blessing upon them. Because they learn. If you, get, if you can learn to do the right thing with your money, a lot of times it's easy to do the right thing with your spouse. Because if you can discipline that one area, you can discipline the other. But because we become so undisciplined and so out of focus and so self-centered in that one area of finances, it's really easy to become really self-centered in other areas, isn't it? So God was teaching these people about this whole thing, and he says, you're robbing me. Leviticus 27.30 says this, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy. The word holy means set apart. It's set apart to God. So the tithe, the first tenth of whatever you make, it isn't yours, loved ones. It belongs to God. It is holy to the Lord. That means it's set apart to him. If you keep it, if you spend it, God says you're robbing him. I think we all get this. Each month, my mortgage payment is due. I went to a bank, and I borrowed money on my house, and I said, I will pay it back. I signed my name to it. So technically, truthfully, that money is not mine. I have it automatically deducted out of my payroll, out of my my checking account. It belongs to the bank. It's holy. It's set apart to chase. Okay? If I tried to keep that, you might not see me here in six months. 
Each month, my utility bill is due. When I moved in and I hooked up with PG&E, I said, I will pay my monthly electricity and gas. Guess what? I have it automatically deducted. That money is not mine. It's theirs. They get it. See, it's really the same with giving. God says this first part is mine. It belongs to me. It's holy. Here's a crazy thought. Do you know of anyone who robs a bank and then asks God to bless them? I mean, and then asks the bank to bless them? Hold them up, take 10000 and come back. By the way, could you just help me out here and bless me with some? No. But that's what so many people do. Eh, I'm just going to rob God and... And then you come to me or somebody else or during your day, and you go, oh, God, bless me, help me. It's kind of incongruent. Okay, we won't laugh about that. Um, I thought it was funny, but uh, a, a lot of people live that way. They kind of think that God is just always this wishy-washy kind of Santa Claus in the sky. So Malachi says, give God the tithe, and you won't have to ask for blessings because he says, I promise this too. Bless you and that you will be blessed. So let's get to the age-old question. Well, pastor, we're, we're New Testament. And you're talking out of the Old Testament. Okay, let's go. Let's start with the genesis of it. So let me read to you Genesis chapter 2. Get your, get your finger a little bit wet here. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll just kind of work our way. We'll do a little Bible drill and kill here. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, God's speaking to his kids. He says this, the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. If you want to, you can just say, and God put Adam in there and his kids to steward it. Because that's what we do. And it says, the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from... Look at that great word there. Any tree in the garden. But. And as we always say, thank God for all the buts in the Bible. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. He says, you work it, you watch over it, you're steward it. You are free to eat from anything but one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, evil. See, so many people see this as a prohibition when God says, I'm going to give you everything you could ever want. And you get to run around buck naked and enjoy it, you know? And uh, that's what they did. And, uh, and so they're running around and he says this not as a prohibition, but as a protection. Because there's a deeper issue at work here where here God is establishing his rights and their rights. But he's establishing recognized rights where we accept that a portion of anything within our reach is still God's. Not everything is yours because it's not all about you. Because ultimately everything belongs to God. He simply says, I'm going to give you a portion. Father God here is telling his kids, all is yours to steward, but this is mine. And that's really what God does with the 10% of our income. He leads us to recognize the difference between his and mine. But the problem is that the fall of Genesis chapter 3, when man chose to disobey God, listened to the lies of the enemy, what did they hear? God knows if you have and keep this portion, you'll be better off. 
How many of us subtly buy into that? I know what God said. But if I keep this. And see, that's how so many people function. You know, they, they try and do everything in this other area, but when it comes to their finances, they got a better idea. I'm not really into keys, but I think there are some keys to life. Let me give you one of them. See, keys get bent, and then they don't work very well. It's really what happened at the fall in Genesis chapter 3. See, everybody got bent. And we tried to, tried to do things our own way. And in our bentedness, in our getting bent, we try and do things our own way, but we find out over time it doesn't work. And see, tithing, I believe, is one of those things that kind of sets in motion in our lives to unbend us. Because if there's anything that begins to extract a little bit of selfishness and bending out of us, it really becomes this area. And it begins not only to straighten out the areas of our finances, but I believe as we become really open to Jesus in that area, it begins to make us open to be straightened out in so many other areas. Because I think that for most of us, this is probably the hardest area. And I don't believe, and again, you can disagree with me, but I don't believe God has your total heart until he has your wallet too. And you can give me all the reasons why, but I don't believe it. I want to have a straightened up life. I had a pastor who is probably what I would consider my ultimate mentor. I never got to spend time with him personally, but pastor of church, he died of leukemia. And I was surprised when I heard him say this because he was probably the most gracious pastor that I ever knew. If there's anybody to me that when he talked, it sounded like Jesus, it was him. His name was Ron Mill. He pastored a church in Beaverton, Oregon, biggest church in Oregon for many years. And uh, it was in Beaverton, which was a very affluent area, so it was a very affluent church. But he said this one time, he said, I never want to pastor a church where people doesn't, don't tithe because I don't want to miss the blessing of what God has for us. And I don't want those people to miss the blessing of what God has for them. And I think, loved ones, there's some truth to that. So we see this whole portion of God before the law. That's mine. Well, then also before the law, if you'll note there on your notes, there's Genesis 14, 17 through 20. I'm not going to take time to read it all. I'll let you do that on your own. But this is the first mention of tithe in the Bible in Genesis 14. Remember, the law doesn't come until Exodus chapter 20. So we're hundreds of years before the law. Now, there's this guy named Melchizedek. He's a priest of the Most High God. His name is... King means he's the king of righteousness. Melchizedek means righteousness. Jesus was the righteous one. He's the righteous one for us. He was the king of Salem. Salem means peace. Jesus was the prince of peace. And most scholars say, because Melchizedek is also talked about in the book of Hebrews, um, uh, spent more time talking about him, most believe that this could have been a pre-incarnate, a Christophany of Christ where he appears and, 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 is, and is part of this place called Salem, a pre-incarnate Christ. Abraham comes out of a battle, winning a battle, and what does he do? It says that he bought, brought his tithes to the king, the priest, 
Melchizedek. A tenth, he said, I'm going to give you a tenth of the spoils. So he gave him a tenth of all his choicest spoils. That was before the law. Remember uh, Romans chapter 4, Paul is saying that, listen, Abraham is our father of faith and you do what he does. You live in the arena of faith that he lives in. Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, again, before the law, Jacob, after he has this encounter with God at a place called Luz, which means separation, he was separated from God. He was on his run because he manipulated and, and, and took advantage of everybody he could around him. He's on the run and he, had, and he has this encounter with, again, the living God. And he has this dream of God coming to him and ascending on the, these angels ascending on this ladder, ascending and descending, and has this revelation of God. He wakes up the next morning, and the name he changes, this place is now going to be called Bethel, house of God. So here's this man, and he says, I am now going to give God a tenth of everything that I have. So he moves from this place of separation from God to now he says, I am in this place of God. And what's the first thing that he does? He says, I am going to give a tenth of everything that I have. Ah, it's before the law. Now the law comes, and we see it in Exodus, and then we see it in Leviticus 27.30, one of the key passages about giving, and noted uh, earlier of what the people of Israel did, where it says they, it's really about trusting God, where they said they gave him a tenth of everything. So let's fast forward now. That's how the nation of Israel lived, and that's where a lot of you know, Bible people want to go, well, you know, we're, we're, we're beyond that, pastor. Okay, well, so let's go to after the law. Did Jesus teach tithing? It's really more like he kind of assumed it. It's fascinating to me that Jesus mentioned the tithe three times uh, uh, in, 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 in the Gospels, and, and each time it was really connected somewhat in a negative way. People were giving without loving. The first mention of it is in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, and it talks about hearts and attitudes. And I want you to see three things. There's a proper priority because the same scripture is also in Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices and your mints and your dill and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law and justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So see what Jesus is doing here. He's talking to these religious leaders. He's correcting their legalism. And that's the very argument that so many Christ followers want to use when we talk about this whole giving thing. Oh, pastor, it's legalism. You know what legalism is? Legalism is having to do things that man puts on you. See, the thing with legalism is it's things like don't wear your skirt too short. Don't do this. Don't listen to that kind of music. Don't, the, 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 those are the legalistic things, okay? Tithing is like from beginning to end throughout the scriptures, So Jesus corrects their legalism because legalism always gets things out of whack. And that's what happened here. The Pharisees, they were so fastidious about tithing. It says literally that they tithed. They gave the first tenth out of their garden herbs and their little spices. Can't you just see them? Okay, here we go. (laughs) 
you know, okay, I'll take it to the temple. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's kind of funny. And Jesus, I, and Jesus had a lot of humor. But see, they weren't nearly as careful about justice or the love of God for other people that needed it. They majored on minors and minored on majors. And Jesus said, you should have practiced the latter, the justice and the love of God, without leaving the former, which is what? Yeah, tithing. See, if tithing was so unimportant to Jesus as so many Christ followers want to make it sound, then Jesus could have easily said, listen, there's a whole new, there's a whole new regime coming in. There's a whole new way of doing life. There's a whole new order that I'm ushering in. And he could have said, take care of justice and mercy. And don't worry about that stupid tithing thing. That's, 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 that's bunk. That's Old Testament. He never says that. He says, keep doing it. Grammarians call this the moral imperative, where they're acknowledging something that ought to be. Basically, laws that shouldn't be violated, they just kind of state them there, that they're there. And Jesus affirms, he says, listen, don't forget what you're supposed to do, but don't ever allow it to become a legalistic issue, and you forget about the weightier things of people, justice and mercy. So he says, keep a proper priority. The second thing he says is, don't have a wrong attitude. In Luke chapter 18, verse 12, it's the prayer of the self-righteous Pharisee. Pharisees were just kind of bad people. The reason they were so bad is because they thought they were so good and didn't realize how bad they were. And a lot of Christians get that way. They forget that they're a stinking sinner still. And they let everybody know that they're not, when in fact they are, and that's the biggest sin that Jesus dealt with in the Gospels is when you forget who you really are because you can do all the outward things, but your heart is a stinking mess. So he's talking to this Pharisee. This Pharisee says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But see, it was simply done religiously, but without love. It was an evidence of his self-righteousness. It wasn't an expression of his worship and his love for Jesus. It was simply an example of giving without love. And so Jesus, whenever he's talking, he's always exposing their hearts. So Jesus always points us to this place to have a right heart. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 8, 5 through 17. He talks about the incredible, gracious, wonderful generosity of the Macedonian Christians. And as I read that, I often think about the incredible generosity of the Creekside Christ followers. But he says this, they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's kind of what we've been talking about for six weeks. That's where it really starts. There's the secret to their generosity. Giving money is no big deal if first you have given yourself to the Lord. I'm going to crowd you a bit. Are you able to give generously and joyfully to God or do you squirm just a little bit whenever we talk about giving? See, it's not about money. It's about love. It's about worship. It's about relationship. And then it's about obedience. It's about where your heart is and giving yourself first to the Lord and then giving your best out of love. For some of you, your money has become the last great frontier. I want to help you make it your manifest destiny where you open your life 
in every dimension. See the rest of that verse when Paul is writing to this church that says they gave out of their poverty. He said, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us, to the people, by God's will. Now as you excel in everything, and he says this as you excel in your faith, as you excel in the way you speak, as you excel in the way you grow in the life of God and knowledge of God, in your diligence, the way you stick to it, he says, and, and the way you have grown in your love for us, now he says this, I want you to also excel in this area of grace called giving. It's a grace. It's a favor. It's part of God's plan because he knows what it does for each one of us. So giving the first 10% of our income is an act of faith. When I tithe, I'm saying, God, I trust you to meet my needs. And I think I said it three weeks ago, but if, if we can trust God with our eternal destiny, shouldn't we be able to trust him to meet our temporal needs here? So God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That was the temple, the place where they worshiped. When people ask me where their tithes should go, I always say to your home church. It's where you're fed spiritually. That's what the storehouse was, the place of feeding when God says that. If you buy your groceries at Knob Hill, you don't make your check out to Safeway, do you? Do you? No, you don't. I started learning some of these giving principles from my pastor, Jim Plummer, another one of my mentors, but I was on staff with him for uh, six years. He told me this story when I went to Pioneer. He said, let me tell you something. People are going to come in. They're going to want to be able to deal with your money and tell you what to do and do this and do that. He said, when I first started a church over in Nebraska, I had to work full time. I didn't have any money. And a good friend of his was Buko Rich. And he came to Jim and he said, listen, Jim, this is what I'll do. Our church is fine financially. I will give you my tithe. And uh, although it's too far away for me to travel, I'll give you my tithe and I'll, you know, my church doesn't need it. Jim turned and looked to him and said, no. The Bible says you give it to where you're fed. That's your storehouse. I don't want it. I want God's blessing and God will provide for me. I don't need you. And see, there's principles in the scriptures that we just have to live by. It was interesting to me when I first came here. I never met the guy, but there was a person that used to give. He was a realtor in town, I guess, or somewhere. And for some reason, he decided that whenever he sold the house, he would tithe. He never went to church, but he tithed off his sales because he understood this thing called the law of reciprocity in giving. Because it really is, it's a universal principle. While it's very spiritual, it's also universal. You may not know God, but you can still give, and, and there's still a blessing and, a, and something that comes from people who are rivers and not reservoirs. But he did that. I, uh, I sometimes have people now, they have in the past asked me, well, pastor, you know, youth ministry needs a lot of money. So I'm just going to tie you to the youth ministry. And I say, no, you're not. I take care of my youth. And I just say, you're not going to designate it. Your tithe goes to the church. And if you don't trust me to take care of the youth or the worship or whatever else, then, then go somewhere else where you're going to trust the people to do it. But you're not going to designate it. 
Because there's people who will try and control instead of release by designating where it goes. And I says, I'm not going to play that game. Either trust what we're doing here or move on. I say it with much more love than that, but that's what I eventually say. <laughs> but I've only I got to get through this talk. But that's what I say. I don't do, now, now, hear me, and I'm going to talk about this in a second. There are people who designate goods to different ministries and things, and I'm good at that, but it's because they've already tithed. But don't try and control your money through this church by designating it. I will send it. I would. I, I, don't, don't, I don't need your money. I've said that five weeks now. This is about you, not about us. Remember, I told you, I, as a matter of fact, and there are people that I love, and, and, and you may think, oh boy, these are, you know, but these are people that respect me as their spiritual pastor. And there are people in this room right now that have emailed me and said, Pastor, just got a bonus. We're going to tithe part of that bonus to Creekside. But are you good with us giving such and such to Gen Church or Bay Point Church or whatever? And I say, you know, thanks for asking, but absolutely. Bless them. So I'm not stingy at all. I want to give. But I also want people who understand biblical principle because I want to be a blessed church today, tomorrow, and when I'm gone. I started tithing. I told you about bouncing my first tithe check when I was 18 in 1976. God's blessed me with, you know, ever since. And I'm not just talking about finances. He's given me, listen, he's given me a great family, a great wife, incredible wife, an incredible church. I, I tell I'm the ultimate overachiever right here. And I can say that I have worked hard. But I'm not that smart and I'm not that talented, but I'm just good enough to understand that I work hard, but I know God, man, I, I, you, you think I'm kidding about this, but I look at this church. I was standing back there this morning listening to Pastor Kyle. I go, God, how to read the back of my program, the, the program I call him this morning. That's how I feel about this place. That's how I see it. I don't get it. The only thing that I can say is the only reason I am blessed, I believe, is because I really try and give God my best. And God can take all of those things of our lives and make them better. I made my tithe automatic, you know, when we were able to do it, just like my house payment. I just heard of a family, a couple come up to me. I can't remember even who it was now, but they come up to me and they told me, and I'm going to share their name and they're probably not going to be happy with me, but that's all right. But the Hanskins, you know, his job is up and down all over the place. And they were sharing with them after one of my talks. I think they were sharing, I don't know if I get the story totally right, but they were sharing with this family about how they still tithe, even though he's out of work and it's just getting the, whatever the government gives him. And they're like, wow, you do? They can't well, yeah, God's brought us this far. Why, why would I stop now? It blesses me. Because that speaks to what you really trust. Chief, some of you know Chief. I love Chief. He was, he was the sage, the old wise sage of the church. And he would come to Friday morning and just give us little nuggets of wisdom and it was, I don't know, I can't remember how long before he died. He had cancer and died a few years ago and really one of the stalwarts of this church. 
it was, I can't remember the time frame, but I went to visit him when he was really on his decline and he couldn't even make it to church. So that's how bad he was because he didn't miss church for anything because he said, oh, pastor, you're the greatest preacher in the world. No, he didn't say that, but um, yeah, sometimes I just got to say that to make you think that, uh, you know, maybe somebody might think that, but he, uh, uh, that'd be a lie, and I can't do that up here, and, or out there, or anywhere, actually, but um, he, he just loved me, and kind of, I think I was like a son to him, and, and Gerald, chief cook, he I was getting ready to leave his house after spending some time with him after a service, and just telling him what was going on in church, and what I preached about that day, and I was getting ready to leave after I'd prayed for him and give him a big hug and told him I loved him and get ready to walk out the door and he, oh, pastor, pastor, come here. I walk over there, I go, what, chief? He goes, sir, I got to give you this. He gives me a check, made out to Creekside Church, $530. The man's dying, okay? Here, pastor, can't forget this. 530 bucks. 500 was his tithe, and $30 was for an orphan that he supported for years. I just go, wow, you're kidding me. You're dying. But see, this was his motto. It's out of Deuteronomy 17, where, where Moses is challenging the people. He says, don't come to God with an open, empty hand. Bring him something. So even though chief tithed once a month, you know what he'd always do? He'd always bring a dollar every Sunday and put it in the offering because of that scripture. And he'd say, I am not going to go to church empty-handed. For a, for a season of time, and every once in a while, we'll still see a dollar come in and, you know, that it's, it's usually filled out on a slip, and it says one dollar, and we know almost always that's in honor of chief. He wasn't a rich man, but he was a blessed man. Some of you that were here a number of years, you looked up to him, you were, whether you were young or old. You listened to him. Why? Because, see, it's not about affluence, ultimately. It's about influence. And you can use your influence and your affluence to affect people's lives. Some of you would say today, I hear it, well, I can't afford to give, so I just give my time. And I just say, hooey. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's not an option in the Bible. It isn't either or. It is both and. We give our time. We give our talents. And we give our treasures. Because God loves us so much that he wants to use us to reach others in this world. And I say it all the time, but hear me, loved ones, if you haven't heard it. If God didn't have a purpose for you on this earth to share who he is and what he has done for people, he would take you home because you would have really no other use here. We live for a higher purpose, and it's to reach people with the love of God. And don't ever think that you don't have to give because you serve. If you do, quit serving because you're doing it for the wrong motivation. Now, that said, I understand there are people in this room that when I talk about 10%, you go, you know, 
I would lose my home, I would lose my cars, and I would lose my kids if I tried to do that. I understand. So this is what I want you to do. I want to make some suggestions to you. Start where you are with the goal of giving a full tithe. But maybe you have to start with 1%, 3%, or 5%, but start somewhere so that you're working toward a full tithe. There are not many preachers who will tell you this. But I'm not going to take responsibility for your financial future. I'm going to let God do that. And if you say there's not a chance in the world that I could do what the Bible says, then start at some place. Start at a percentage. Don't just go, well, you know, I'm gonna, this Sunday I think I'll drop in a buck. <laughs> and God, I, that's my best. No, start at, a, start at something that's going to cost you a little bit. And start at a percentage so you always know what it's going to be so you can build off it, whether it's one, three, five, ten. I don't know what it is for you. But work toward this thing. And each time you get a raise, give God a raise. Each time you rework your budget, give God a little more. But start where you are. God understands and knows your heart if you are willing to do it honestly before him. That's why he says, test me in this. It's a divine dare. It's the only thing he ever says it in. So then take an honest look at your budget. It may be that you really are just scraping by, but let me ask you this, and I'm going to really crowd you here, but what does it say to us when we can't afford to give to God, but we've got all the premium cable TV channels or a cell phone, the latest and nicest cell phone or a new car, or we stop every morning at Starbucks and get a nice, fat, juicy, vente Grande, or whatever it is. <laughs> Double cappuccino, caramel macchiata, $7 drink. Figure it out. Seven bucks a pop or six bucks a pop. See, are we really, are we really giving God our best? That's why I go to McDonald's. Buck nine, man, you can't beat it. <laughs> Any size. Matter of fact, I'll find myself really splurging for the staff every once in a while. Cost me six bucks, man. I go, hmm. (laughs) Or if you're a personal faith, you might just want to take the plunge. Give God the whole tithe and see what happens. God invites you to test him in this. Give him a shot. I said last week, an interesting observation. Every tither I know says God has blessed me so much, I could not imagine not tithing, and every non-tither I know says I can't afford to. Think about it. From the beginning, Christians have believed, and this is where a lot of super spiritual Christians come in and they want to argue about New Testament, Old Testament stuff. Because we believe, but, but Christians have believed that those who are under grace, who have received so much that will do more than those who are under the law. And I beg to differ. I don't know that many Christians that do more than what was expected under the law because if you really studied the law, most of the, 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 the God's people were given 20 to 25%. But this has been going on for years. 
Church father Irenaeus, in his writings against heresy, said this, For this reason they, the Jews, had indeed the tithes of their goods consecrated to God. But those who have received liberty, freedom in Christ, have set aside all their possessions for the Lord's purposes, bestowing joyfully and freely, not the less valuable portions of their property, since they have hope for better things hereafter. As the poor widow acted all, acted who cast all her living into the treasury of God. Irenaeus contrasted the Jewish practices of giving with Christians of his day, hundreds of years ago, and they said, we're just going to give it all to God. Not literally, but we'd be willing to. Let me close with just other offerings, and I'm going to give you a challenge. Stick with me. There's other offerings to God. Remember Malachi, as the prophet writes to him, he says, tithe and offering. There's these things called free will offerings. You'll notice that in throughout the scriptures. The tithe is the first tenth that belongs to God. An offering is something that goes above and beyond your giving. In the Old Testament, it was often called a free will offering. Free will offerings are a sacrifice given for something for different reasons. Let me give you a few of them. And it's really kind of a sacrifice. It's above your usual giving. There was a farmer who loved to have bacon and eggs, ham and eggs, every morning for breakfast. One day out there on the farm, in the farmyard, a hen was cackling and cackling to the hog and said how much she enjoyed giving her eggs to the farmer's breakfast. The pig looked at the old hen and said, you know what, for you it's an offering. For me, it's a sacrifice. (laughs) And that's really true. See, for some of us, it's just an offering. But there are times when we give sacrificially. Free will offerings are given to God as an expression of thanks for worship, in worship. Uh, Some are moved so much by God's goodness. I got to give God something more. Free will offerings are given for special projects, like they were used for building the tabernacle or the temple. Sometimes churches do that. Probably in four to six years, we're going to have a campaign where we're going to invite people. After we've started a few more churches, we're going to build a sanctuary, and we'll be asking for um, free will offerings for that over and above your regular giving. Free will offerings are given to support a specific ministry. We give monthly to missionaries to support them or other ministries or orphans. For us, hear me, this is what's really nice. This is what a lot of people like about Creekside is we don't ask for money. Except one time a year, we really make a big deal to do our harvest offering. See, out of all of the free will offerings that churches ask for, we do it one time so we can use that throughout the year. Remember, you gave $81,000 in the one offering. 40000 of it's going to be going to our church plant in Oakland. The rest of it we use for like missionaries. When the, when, the, uh, when the Moors came, I don't usually go into all this. You can I'll tell anybody. We gave them, uh, them four or $5,000. You came and got to enjoy them because you already gave at the harvest. Most churches, you know what they do? Okay, we got the missionaries here. Pass the baskets. And you brought your friend that day. Oh, great, they're asking for money. The nice thing about Creekside is you only have to worry about that two or three times a year. Well, actually about two or three times every five years, you know, like today. But you see what I'm saying? That's what those special offerings are for. And we do those one time a year. Concluding thoughts. Two critical questions 
that you always have to ask people. I've learned to ask these in counseling. Because everybody wants the answer, they just don't want the process. Here's the questions. Do you really, do you really want God's blessing? on your life, your marriage, your finances, your kids, your this, your that, whatever, you fill in the blank. Today it's finances. That's the question I had. Do you really want God's blessing? That's the most important question because then it leads to the second. You know what it is? Are you willing to do it God's way? Most of the people that I work with, that I counsel with, that make it, they answer yes to both of those questions and they live it out. The people that don't look at me like I have lobster tails coming out of my ears when I say you got to do it God's way, and they go, I don't really want to do it God's way. And I go, okay, then you're going to waste my time. And now I'm old enough to be able to say that, and it's true. I don't waste my time with people who won't do it God's way. Because it is spinning my wheels. It's actually spinning their wheels and wasting their time. Take your wallet out or your purse or whatever. I'm not going to ask for any of it. Just take it out if you would and grab a bill there. Just grab a bill. You don't have to put it in the basket. Just grab it. This is ink on paper. You ever notice how money has a smell to it? It's just kind of... I was telling a group, uh, I was telling somebody yesterday, I don't use, a, I don't use my phone or an iPad for my Bible because I love the smell of it. I love the feel of it. It's just, it's, it's the Bible. But you see, we all have this. Take your Bible or your, your Bible phone or whatever you got there and just kind of look at these two things. Both are ink on paper. One is less valuable than it says on the outside. It's really not worth five bucks. This is infinitely more valuable than, the, than, the, than what we could ever impute to it. This is God's word to us. The world gives supreme authority to this. You and I have a decision to make. What, which one is going to have supreme authority in our life? This or this? And today, if you just want to set your little cash right there on your Bible. See, that Bible, it's not God, but it is the Word of God. And as I come to it and put my trust in it, it can guide me in lifestyle and living and how to be blessed. The money is simply ink on paper. But if it has mastery over me instead of mastering it and becomes my master, it will lead me into a lifestyle that is totally void of God. And I'll end up serving it at some time instead of it serving me. And loved ones, every one of us, have to make that decision. I can't make it for you. God won't. You'll have to. What has greatest value in your life? 
Here's what I want you to do. There's a card underneath the baskets, a yellow card. I want each family unit to take one. On it, it's a card. It's God's divine dare. I'm going to ask you to do two things. Please kind of hang tight with me for a minute. Let's not run away while I give this. So I want it to be clear. I'm going to ask you to do two things. For the month of March, I'm going to ask that anybody who says Creekside is your home, that you will give to this church a tithe. I would love to see what church, what it would look like in this church if everybody, every family unit tithed. Now, if you're one of those people that says there's not a chance in the whole wide world that I can do that, then my challenge is simply to start with a percentage and give it in the month of March. Let's see what it would look like. Okay, hear me. Everybody look at me. This isn't a fundraising campaign. This is raising God's kids up, okay? But let's see what it would look like. If every family unit in this church that says, this is my home, did that. That's the first divine dare. Just during the month of March. The second divine dare is that you come up with a plan. And that for four months, whether it's 1% or 2% or 10%, you give that for the next four months. And we test God to see if what he says is true. I am so convinced that what God says is true that I promise you, you just make sure you put it on an offering envelope But after four months, if you're just sinking and it's not helping and you're going south and you're drowning, that's why you got a plan. It may not be 10%. It might be 2%. Don't be silly. But you get with God and you say, how much? And then you stick with it for four months. If after four months you can't say that you've gotten better control of your finances and spending and and doing better, I will give you your money back with $100 extra. I will not ask any questions. You won't have to sit down with anybody. You will just simply have to submit in writing that I gave for four months and I'm in deeper trouble now than I was. And I will tell this church that we had five people. I won't say who, but I'm going to be honest because I just trust God. And if there's four people that that happens to and you don't see it better, I'll say, you know what? I've told you the good stories of people who have given. I'll tell you if four people say they couldn't, that it didn't work. I'm not going to, this isn't, I'm not going to manipulate anybody. And I'm not going to put a spin on it. I'm going to tell you the truth. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this card and I want you to sign it. If you're willing to do it. And then I want you to keep it. You're not going to turn it into me. You're not going to give it to me. It's got nothing to do with me and Creekside. This is between you and God. You can stick it under your pillow. You can leave it in your Bible. But don't leave it here.
child of weakness, watch and pray.